Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and with me as a co-host, we can all see and hear, it's Brian Martin. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Brian, it's late. We've both had long weeks. The dark of night. Well, your, your son started school yesterday, right? That is correct. God, it's the very beginning of August. What are they doing to these kids, Nate? I know. Is your kid in school yet up there in North Carolina? No, he does not start until like the 28th, I think. Well, see, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. They start school at 9 a.m. here. Oh, wow. That's that's not bad. Well. I mean, it's kind of bad for you. I was going to say it's incredibly inconvenient. <laughs> right, yeah. You're like, can I drop him off at 7.30, though? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we got places to be. The problem is the teacher's. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that part I'm leaving in. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, since the last time we met, I will say I have watched two more episodes of Highway to Heaven. Oh, good for you. Wow. Well, you know, mm. what I've found is that they've become very pedestrian. Okay. they become more familiar television. Just like your regular kind of run-of-the-mill TV. I've discovered there's a formula to this show. Comfort food. Granted, yeah. I've seen, what, like five episodes or something of that nature, but they all have a very similar pattern, which is they'll somehow run into two people that both have problems but will solve each other's problems when you bring them together. And uh, every one of them Deus has been... Ex plot device. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. It's like each storyline, there's always a divergent storyline, like you would think a plot A and a plot B. But somehow plot B always solves the problem for plot A. Oh. Four episodes after that pilot, they've all followed that same pattern. So what we need to do is figure out where in this series they introduce the evil version <laughs> of our characters. A fallen angel somewhere? It's just straight up a demon? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe over the course of six seasons, they break pattern a little bit, but... I mean, sometimes formulaic television works. Go, go, Power it's been working for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for the better part of <laughs> three decades. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Same episode every week. Is your kid into Power Rangers right now? No. Right now, my son is into the Titanic. Like the movie or the boat? No, the, like the boat. The actual boat. He'll watch the sinking part of the movie. Oh, you know, I see. He'll watch the boat sink in the movie. Doesn't have too much interest in the rest of it. But uh, yeah, no, he built a giant Titanic out of cardboard and uh, 
painted it up and everything before school started. It was a good little project for him. Yeah, making a giant boat out of cardboard only slightly likelier to stay afloat than the uh, <laughs> actual Titanic. Yeah, it could last just about as long, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's what he's into these days, the Titanic. Power Rangers have not come on his radar. Wow. Good segue here is I had to dig out all my long boxes to find the subject matter that we're discussing tonight. Oh, wow. So I pulled out all these comics that I had like hidden behind a desk, and I thought, well, if I'm rummaging through these things, maybe Waylon will wander on in here, and he'll get a glimpse at the comics. He's eight years old now. Maybe he'll suddenly develop an interest. Maybe it's time, and no. Not, it not, was not time. Not so much. No. I'm not sure that pulling out a few assorted issues of the Quantum Leap comic book series is going <laughs> to do the trick, Nate. <laughs> well, you know, I had to find them. I did have my comics alphabetized, but oddly, Quantum Leap just happened to be like floating books or whatever, and I just happened to find them. They were not between Spider-Man and Robin the way I would have liked. But I did notice in pulling up all the books that I have... Domino number one. Oh, that's fun. Which I had. Is that the one with the Stelfreeze cover? I have no idea. <laughs> huh, I'm curious. And I also have a mini series, Mystique versus Sabretooth. Ooh. I'm just kind of pulling these books up every once in a while, you know, and I'm like, what is this? What was I reading? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it was basically. Oh, I haven't seen this comic before, and I would pull it off the rack and buy it. I mean, that's what the 90s were. Oh, sure. Sure. A lot of that. So I didn't know there so. was a Mystique Sabretooth right? anything. Neither I, did I. I. <laughs> huh. <laughs> but I've been lugging it around every time I move. That's the way we do. Yeah, really. It's the chains we carry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. At some well, point, maybe when he's 10, we'll go back into it. Try again. I'll see what I actually have there that's interesting. But I was on a mission to find these books that we've got here in front of us. Yeah, I did not have to do any long box diving for these Quantum Leap comics because I don't own them. You did not manage to get any paper copies then? No, the asking prices for some of these comics are, I would say, outrageous. And this is coming from somebody who has paid... Well over $100 for issues of Uncanny X-Men in recent years. I'm like, <laughs> look, I got my limits, man. All right, so on the one hand, I am willing to pay over $100 for the first appearance of Kitty Pride and the White Queen. Okay. okay. I don't think I'm willing to pay over, I'm going to be generous and say $35 <laughs> for a single issue of a Quantum Leap comic book. What is your top price for Quantum Leap number one? I feel it is close to $10. That's where you would go, $10. I think, I think it'd go 10 bucks. I couldn't sell this to you for $12. Call it a day. Call it a day. No, I, don't th I think $12, you, wow. I am out of the market on that one. Wow, uh, really? Yeah. Some fan. Some fan you are. <laughs> All right, there are artists coming up in this series who are very well-known and very well-regarded yeah. comic book artists. Okay. I don't believe the first three issues, which are the ones we're going to be looking at this evening, feature any of them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't recognize any of the names, honestly. So licensed comics have always kind of been a thing. For those of you who aren't steeped in comic books forever, comic books have been either a gateway to or a stop on the way from various mass media characters be it radio shows, be it television shows, movies, mm -hmm. 
this sort of cross-pollination has always happened, and comics have kind of always been at the center of it. Dick Tracy and Batman and Superman serials getting into even like the 1960s and things like 2001 A Space Odyssey, which became a series a few years after the movie was released, or uh, Planet of the Apes was another big comic book franchise, Lost in Space, like things like that that Mm -hmm. were on TV that ended up crossing over into comics. So the fact that something like a Quantum Leap comic exists is not in itself surprising because even in the late 80s, early 90s, And even today, there's still a lot of this licensed work coming in comics. In fact, the late 80s was a wild, wild time for licensed comics. I mean, for God's sake, there was an ALF comic book (laughs) that Marvel Comics was publishing. Remember ALF? He's back in pog form. He was back in pog form. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's back. (laughs) No less than Bill Sienkiewicz did a cover for ALF. Oh, no kidding. Mr. Electra Assassin did. (laughs) You are a historian of this kind of stuff, Brian. I am constantly impressed by your encyclopedic knowledge comes with these comic books. A lot of these books now, one, they're usually the source material for something else that you've seen. Sure. You know, it's basically just a a test kitchen. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it's basically a pool of content that creators can come down and pick up a story out of comic books these days and put it into some other media. A lot of times people think that if they make a comic, they can turn it into TV. Like, I'm going to start this as a comic so that it's a television show one day. Not naming names, Mark Miller. <laughs> <laughs> Not naming names, Nate Bowden. No, I... <laughs> It's just kind of the way things are, you know, like Smallville's 13th season was a comic book. Buffy, the same way. Their last season was also a comic book. So, yeah, you're right. Cross-pollination is a good way to think about it. But it seems now that, I don't know, in, in reading these, I wonder if the transition from TV to comic books is always successful. And that's one of the questions I have for this. Yeah. Right. So innovation Mm -hmm. uh, was around from 1988 to around 1994. And believe it or not, at one point was the fourth revenue driving comic publisher in in the market. And this is before Image, of course, came and blew up everything. But it was Marvel, DC, Dark Horse and Innovation. Innovation. And Innovation was buoyed by all of the licensed stuff. They they made a handful of original series. Yeah. Most of their comics that they were publishing were based on established franchises like the aforementioned Lost in Space. Hard to imagine a Lost in Space comic really having traction in 1989, but hey, <laughs> there we go. Dark Shadows was another one that's like, I guess there's just this cult following oh, for okay, it. Oh, okay, yeah. Psycho was Psycho. on the, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play. Mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast, not the Disney movie, of course. I'm talking about the TV series with Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. <laughs> and then Quantum Leap kind of thrown into the mix there. They were kind of just getting every license they could scoop think, up. Yeah, I think Anne Rice's The Vampire Lestat was one yeah, of their like higher... Yeah, all of those Interview with the Vampire things were also a part of it. Granted, I haven't read any of that. Sure. I wouldn't even know what innovation was if they hadn't put out these Quantum Leap books yeah no probably not i guess i vaguely remember some of these other comics just sitting on the shelves at my comic shop 
but I imagine they were covers that I just kind of glanced right past. But like I was distracted. I was distracted by the flashiness of things like Sleepwalker number one from Marvel <laughs> Comics <laughs> and Darkhawk. <laughs> That's right. In in all honesty, the X Men of that period. Yeah, sure. Sylvestri and Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld was doing New Mutants and X-Force. Like, those are the things that we remember from 1990, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you open up a comic like Quantum Leap 1, I am not expecting to open up a Quantum Leap comic and see Rob Liefeld art or anything that looks adjacent to it. No, but, but if we had, you know, maybe I mean, it would be a little different result. That would be nuts. Can you imagine, like, a Rob Liefeld illustrated Quantum Leap comic book? Well, maybe maybe <laughs> not Rob Liefeld exactly, but maybe somebody a little flashy, you yes. know? Like, Rob um, Liefeld is a notoriously terrible artist. His, I would but... call him a notoriously stylistic artist. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Look, uh, hopefully you have some understanding out there, but if you don't, look some of this stuff up online. His anatomy is just off the wall. He is really... Self-taught. Uh, he, I would say he does Liefeld say he's was, self-taught. Liefeld yes. was self-taught, and his teacher was comic books, the comic books that he grew up with. And he was like, you know, I think I can do this. <laughs> so he exaggerated exaggerations. That's kind of his issue. I will freely admit, I was completely taken with all of those guys back in the early 90s. Not a one of them was unengaging for me. So, Well, yeah, he's not without purpose. Liefeld, his stuff jumped off the page. Yes. These are the guys that started breaking panel borders and uh, splash pages and stuff like this became popular. This was an era when artists were the rock stars. Yes. And these days, the writer is what makes you buy a book. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So Absolutely true. People are looking for storylines now. Back then, it was who's drawing this book. Yep. And that is probably why I have Sabretooth Mystique crossover <laughs> in my collection, <laughs> because I can't imagine being engaged too much by that story. So we're just trying to contextualize what the medium looked like typically at that time. A lot of big bold figures a lot of just ink slathered across the page right hatch marks makes me want to go back to that time it really does i mean to this day there's nothing quite like a sylvestri or a lee x-men comic right from like 89 to 1991 they look unlike anything else you know one book that i never really read but i always loved the art was savage dragon yeah i mean just this stuff. There is a kinetic fury about a lot of those image guys' work, whether it's Larson, Portacio, all of those guys. Yeah. McFarland, who I. Sam Keith. Sam Keith. Oh my God. Talk yeah. about somebody the, who, like, is the just. Max. Complete. Looks unlike anything else you've ever seen. Right. I feel like looking at. Quantum Leap. Okay, on the one hand, I do not expect the characters in a Quantum Leap comic to look like comic right. book heroes. Right. But the art in the three issues that we looked at really looks like very young artists struggling <laughs> to, <laughs> to capture human forms and environments and succeeding some of the time. 
that's kind of where I would put the art for the the Quantum Leap series. I've got a couple of comments on art for each issue as we okay. go into it. So kind of do want to go issue by issue and chat a little bit about it. So yeah, and thankfully. Uh, you were able to find these digitally. There is a website online where you can find the books in this series, including some unpublished issues. I think issue yeah, that's 14 interesting. was not published. It's at quantumleap-alsplace.com. If you want to follow along with us here. Scans of all of it. Yeah, and it's probably, frankly, the best way to find it. Probably. Quantumleap-alsplace.com. I have physical copies before we get started here. I've got issues one and two, which I read physically. Wow. Um, What's the ad on the back of that one? Holding There's that Child's up. Play 3, of course, because they are publishing Child's Play books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's on the back of the first one? Oh, the back of the first one is just, uh, it's a fold-out cover. Oh, nice. Uh, which really makes absolutely no sense. I kind of wish you had a paper copy to look over that with me. It's a uh-huh. really bizarre back cover because when you open it, the image goes together, but there's this weird... I'll show it to you and see if you can tell. What is it, just summing up what the book is about? Uh, it's like three paragraphs, three lengthy paragraphs of information on the back cover of this book. Yeah, but look at the picture. Like, who are who is that woman oh, in the... Oh, yeah, who is that? Well, it's got nothing to do with the story. For anybody that can't find the back cover to issue one, there's a woman walking in a flowy dress in front of an old man in a wheelchair and what appears to be the floating head of a child. None of that. None of that appears (laughs) in the first issue. None of it has anything to do with the issue, but if you fold the book out, it's part of the picture of the cover. So I don't know what's going on. right there (laughs) and i wish i could share it with you all at any rate i have issue one two five eight and twelve okay i think i got most of these off of ebay in the early 2000s okay i want to uh kind of focus as we go through here on a few questions one how effective are these stories how well do they capture the tone and aesthetic okay of the show But something we're going to find as we hop from issue to issue is that the creative teams change Mm -hmm. every single story. Yeah. And I also want to talk about whether that's a plus or a minus. Look at you giving us structure. (laughs) So anyway, so this first issue opens with a two-page recap of the prologue saga cell for quantum leap the familiar ziggy voiceover is Mm -hmm. captioned we see a lot of familiar imagery of sam in the accelerator that accelerator scene where the gas is kind of enveloping him and the he starts to leap yeah i felt like i was ragging on the art on this a little bit unfairly that kind of has some I, i don't know it reminded me of the human torch Alex Ross's Marvel's book, huh. uh, the first time he ignites, and that may be kind of high praise for red, this. It, red is an interesting choice there. Yes, I think what the colorist is doing is looking at the page as a whole and laying down a red background to these heavy blues that he's 100%. using in the other three panels. But it struck me as odd. It visually looks different than the show. I think it is a visually appealing page of comic, though, because of the balance of the art, I think. 
I that, I don't know. I mean, I, I see what they were trying to do, but just later in this same issue, and I don't mean to skip ahead so quickly, but if you go all the way up to page 21, there's a very monochromatic using blues and purples. Yes. And I think a similar look in the opening page where you can still have that familiar kind of aqua blue color scheme that is Quantum Leap, I think that might have worked a little better for me. Okay. Because I really like what he did near the end of this story. Yeah, that is a pretty good looking page. Yeah. So it it sat with me a little funny, uh, to be honest. So we get these first couple of recap pages summing up the story thus far. And then we see him leap in to a school classroom. The date is March 25th, 1968, and Sam has leaped into Karen Connors, a brand new teacher in a classroom that has had two previous teachers quit. Miss Connors has just started teaching a group of at-risk students, and they are not the most agreeable class of kids. Right. But Sam is there to theoretically, help them succeed on their end-of-year testing, essentially. Right, in order to keep their program alive. Yeah, yeah, because this whole pilot program is going to collapse if these kids don't make the grade at the end of the year. What's that Michelle Pfeiffer movie? Dangerous Minds. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, this is a gangsta's paradise situation. (laughs) Well, what it strikes me as, it's like... What does Quantum Leap do? Let's use our very first issue to end racism. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, th- th- there is definitely. And uh, <laughs> like the first two issues here in particular feel like they have a lot to say about social commentary and really lay it on a little bit thick. Right. And Especially I... for an opening issue of your Quantum right. Leap comic. <laughs> Like, this feels like it should have been maybe issue three or four. This is not laid back. It's not really fun. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it's a very serious story for your opening volley, especially considering the third page includes an image that takes up most of the page of Sam Beckett wearing, uh, uh, like, a go-go dress. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And these, like, go-go boots... Is that how teachers dressed in, in this, the 60s? I mean, like, I, I don't care if it's Scott Bakula or a woman. I can't concentrate on <laughs> shit in that class, man. Yeah. As I flip through these pages, it is pretty clear that this artist is making a good attempt to get those visual gags you get out of the TV show when yes. he's dressed as a woman, you know? Close-ups of him having to cross his legs, you know, mm-hmm. and seeing that short dress all the way up near his hips. I like what the artist is trying to do there, trying to give it that same look, I think, is, is sometimes more successful than others. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some of these pages are just super nice, and then others, not so much. Like, I really like page 21. I really like page 19 for anybody that can actually flip through these things. It's a very... Bottom it's half the, the page. the lower left-hand corner of that page. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the whole, that whole page is just aesthetically very pleasing to yeah, look at. Yeah, it's good work it, right it's, there. It's really good, yeah. But then there are other pages in here that is that it's very muddy. Muddy is a good word for it. 
it's a painted look and yeah you can practically see the canvas yeah and it's just too heavy in a lot of these pages it's just too dark and it washes out then you've got this sequence about halfway through the book that takes place mostly at night Mm -hmm. and again it's like yeah all the colors are very very dark Although I do think that this sequence I'm talking about where a bunch of ne'er-do-wells confront <laughs> Sam and... How do-well? Ne'er. Ne'er. Ne'er-do-well. Just ne'er. <laughs> confront <laughs> Sam thinking he's uh, this Mrs. Connors and engage in a fisticuffs with him. And I think that fight is generally well choreographed. Something I really love about the fight sequence in this issue is that you can almost constantly see Sam's reflection in the window behind him as he's right. fighting. So you're getting this kind of mirror image of Karen fighting these guys. That's another thing where they're trying to mimic something you'd see on TV. Yes. Like they would definitely show these types of things in a reflection. So like one of my favorite pages in this book is probably page 17, which it looks like any random page might have looked from a mid-70s Marvel book. Yeah, that's actually got one of my favorite lines in it. In that first word, word balloon from Al, like Sam, trying to hold off one of these lines. <laughs> I can't hold him off much longer, says the intangible holographic partner, whose outstretched fist is passing through this big dude's head. Yeah, this big really dude looks like Blade, for God's sake. You know, I mean, like he's this huge, muscled up, jacked dude with yeah. a switchblade. Yeah. Just bearing down on him. It's That's a great fun. image. That's fun. My my thought has always been if you kind of squint a little bit at the page and it all flattens out, then you're missing something. You need some more contrast in there somewhere. Sure. Yeah. I see what they're trying to accomplish here. And I will give them that the likenesses are really pretty good. Yeah, I think he goes out of his way to kind of make sure that they look pretty good. And I also think the back half of this book generally looks better than the first half did. Yeah, um, okay. To the extent that they look like totally different artists sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it's really that, that outdoor fight scene where it kind of turns. And then everything that comes after that page looks much different than what preceded it yeah it almost feels like the first half you know we were talking about that painted kind of look it feels like the second half was done more traditionally for whatever yeah, reason which is a little weird maybe it was a time thing it's still kind of painterly but he really uses some more vibrant colors on page 20 and then of course that page i really like page 21 which is sort of monochromatic because he's using he's using that color scheme to indicate that this is a montage this is your comic book version of a montage. Time is passing um, because they're essentially the students just taking a test. Right. You know, you've got your fight scene or whatever, but the but the whole story hinges on kids taking a test yeah. in a classroom in a S comic book. Something that Sam ultimately has very little control over their performance. You know, talk about well, your harrowing leaps. Has there ever yeah. been less of a guarantee he's leaping out of this situation? You only have 20 some odd pages here, but how long was he Mrs. Connors? He leaped in on March 25th, and there is a device at play in this issue that lets you kind of gauge the passage of time. Oh, right? okay. So starts on March 25th, but 
this is something I definitely wanted to bring up because I think that one of the through lines in this issue kind of harkens back to A Leap to Die For, the fan film we talked about a couple episodes ago in that Sam starts to wonder if he's not here to save the life of a major historical figure. Right. In this case, it's Martin Luther King, who is shot in the early hours of April 4th. So we kind of get an idea for how long Sam is there, because he leaps out on April 4th. Okay. The last page of the leap talks about how MLK was gunned down. Right. And Sam is lamenting not being able to stop it, right? Because he really wanted to be there. Ziggy, Al says, did predict a 7% chance he was there to prevent the assassination of Dr. (laughs) King, which is better than zero. Yeah, and that's why he was out walking for that fight scene. He was just out walking in the middle of the night out where he knew... Martin Luther King was staying outside the hotel yeah. that he stays at. Yeah. And he's just kind of strolling about because he kind of thinks... Maybe I'll just run into him. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll run into him. Like, I don't know what he was doing out there, but it gives him an opportunity to interact with one of the students outside of the classroom and make, yeah. this, make this connection to the student as an inroad to the rest of the students, you know? Yeah. It works. Uh, I think it works. Yeah, I think the story between specifically Sam and that one specific kid whose name was Randy. Randy, yeah. Is pretty effective. It's easy to see this story and imagine it being translated to an episode of the show. Yeah, I think there would be some things that you would change in doing that. Let me tell you, folks, if you look at some of these pages, there are a heck of a lot of word balloons oh yeah so they are doing their darndest to stick within the 20 some odd pages that you get but i feel like if this were on television even just in a standard 45 minute episode connors would somehow have like a faculty member best friend or a roommate or some kind of person that fleshes out her world instead of just her budding relationship with randy the show has always done a great job of placing sam in an environment that feels real and solid like this character has relationships with these other people and i feel like most of the stories that we're talking about tonight i guess they don't have time to do that yeah i was gonna say they skirt it but then i thought about sam's outfits in this issue and i thought maybe skirt's not the right word (laughs) ha maybe it's the perfect word so he spends over a week as Karen Connors, but we never see her life beyond this classroom. Not really. Right. So yeah, I think that would be kind of expanded upon in a more traditional episode of the show. And for him to accomplish what it is that they said he accomplished at the end of this, a week seems like a very short amount of time. Oh, I mean, anybody who's ever taught a classroom full of unruly yeah, teenagers can verify that. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, like, they either knew their shit or they didn't at this and, point <laughs> in the semester. Yeah, and at the beginning, they make a whole big point about how no teacher has been able to handle these kids. They've all been <laughs> chased away. By the end, they say that all they needed was somebody to stick around for a week. <laughs> for a week yeah. <laughs> you know like right i guess sam is just that good but right yeah. on as randy would say or chill out man chill that out. was a, I... that was a cute little moment there are some things that dialogue wise read pretty well yes 
Yeah, that chill out man part. If you can hear Dean Stockwell and you can hear Scott Bakula in your head, you can read them with that intonation. And I think it largely succeeds on that front. Uh, I yeah, can, I really do. Especially too. one of the one of the things all three of these issues really have going for it is the interplay between Al and Sam. I think is pretty well captured, especially in the first two issues. Most of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly the first two. Talk about issue three once we get there. I think. But overall, yeah, I think this is a relatively good adaptation of Quantum Leap. One of the things that I really like about this issue, like you said, the test is taken. They turn in the papers and Sam has to sit around and wait for the results. (laughs) Yeah, days. (laughs) Days. And I actually really kind of dig that. There's this great shot of him sitting in the window, just Mm kind of waiting for the phone to ring. You see that kind of thing in the show. Yes, Yeah. An introspective moment to kind of think about what had just transpired. Take a minute to soak that in. I really enjoyed that they did that. Yeah. Before we get off this issue, I've got a couple of things that I think you probably missed in reading your digital versions, which are these inserts. Yes. Okay. I don't have any of the ads or anything that are in there. If you actually have the physical copy, folks, there is a special preview of the Psycho comic in there with a really nice illustration of uh wow look at look at that that. alfred hitchcock illustration that is really nice that is really impressive who did that uh it is do we know mention wow but the art of the preview in there for psycho it's all painted it's super nice that looks really good like i want to hunt that looks just like vivian lee Or Janet Lee, Janet Lee, I'm sorry. Yeah. Janet Lee was the one in there. Really beautiful artwork. But the main things, the writer of this issue writes up a little paragraph here at the beginning. He's an editor at Innovation. His name is George George Broderick Broderick. Jr. Yeah. What I found really humorous is where they're discussing (laughs) bringing Quantum Leap to life in comic book form. He mentions more than once that this was one of the top Five properties that he suggested that they bring on. One of the top five properties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he does it more than once. So bizarre. Like, if you're writing to say, boy, I love the opportunity to do this thing. This was my fifth was, choice. <laughs> it was definitely in the top five, folks. Wow. How many ideas did you bring to your senior editor that you're thrilled to be working he on? He was your like, top well, five? D- Dark Shadows. Child's Play, <laughs> tried to get Alf, but Marvel scooped that one up. I don't know. It just struck me as really funny. <laughs> that is... Like, okay. Also in the middle here, there's a thing called Back Issues Plus. Hmm. And it's kind of a listing of some of the other issues that this company has put out. And I was kind of flipping through it, trying to find Married with Children. Because I remember the, in our That first was a episode, different publisher. It was Now Comics that did Married with Children. Yeah. Right. I was trying to and remember where they all separated, who ended up with what, but now comics had. There's no Married with Children comic here at Innovation, but in doing so, there's a book in here that was advertised as full color art by Adam Hughes, exclamation point. Oh, what's the book? And I was like, already back in pre-1992, they're advertising a book on Adam Hughes's art. Yeah. It's called The Maze Agency. Ah, I don't know if I'm familiar with it. don't know what that is at all. Mm. 
didn't find anything of real substance, but it was definitely him. Wow. Because you know how he signs all his artwork, the A-H with the exclamation Ah. point. Yeah. So that's probably one of his very first publications here at Innovation, the Maze Agency. And that would be one of their originals. Yeah. I mean, with Adam Hughes behind, it's got to be like a flagship book for them, I think. One would think. But, I mean, how big was he at this time? That's the question. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And this is just about 1992, because the last thing I'll mention, and we'll move on to episode two here, there is an ad in here for Quantum Leap t-shirts. Man, I wouldn't mind having one of those. Yeah, pretty sweet. (laughs) And at the bottom of it, (laughs) at the bottom of it, it says, coming soon quantum leap convention oh it says here plans are afoot for an official quantum leap convention with the stars and the production people to be held in los angeles in early 1992 for more details and ticket information send a self-addressed stamped envelope to creation address as above (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the good old self-addressed stamped envelope (laughs) For more information. Oh, brother. Wow. It's like stepping back into the past. Yeah, that's a real Um, time cap. It's like we're quantum leaping. (laughs) But those are the things that I wanted to share because I knew you didn't have a paper copy in front of you. Wow. So outside of that back cover, which is hilarious, uh, the Adam Hughes art, the idea that this is... Hey, one of our best five ideas. <laughs> hey, you know, I would have loved to have seen Adam Hughes do a Quantum Leap comic. Yeah. Like, if we get Adam Hughes down on this thing, like, do just one issue. All these artists are doing, like, one issue. It's not exactly in his wheelhouse, if you know what I mean. No, no, no. It's not, not cheesecakey enough. Yeah. But the man can draw anything, but we all show up for the one thing, mainly. So maybe the most obvious route for a Quantum Leap comic to take is in that last page, leap out, leap into the next issue, and having a little tease of what the next issue is going to be about. And we get that at the end of the first issue where Sam leaps out of Karen Connors and into someone we will come to know as Willie Jackson, a uh, journalist currently on death row, and Sam is being strapped into an electric chair as we speak. Right. Uh, It's June 11th, 1962. And this is an interesting one because the next issue just kind of starts there in that leap. The electric chair doesn't work. And Sam postulates it's because of the energy surrounding his leap. It shorted the chair out. Shorting the chair out. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting take. He looks a little bit like Ed Norton in a couple panels of this issue. I got to (laughs) say the artist on this particular issue is Rob Davis, another name I did, don't really know. I don't. Did think. we give credit to the artist in the first issue? I don't think we did. What was his name? Artist was Mark Jones. Mark Jones. The second issue is uh, written by Robert M. Ingersoll, with pencils by Rob Davis. This issue also plays like a pretty typical episode of Quantum Leap, I think. Uh, Sam is in jail for a majority of it, I will say one thing that this issue immediately has over the other issue, Al looks great. I think in this issue, once Al shows up, he is immediately recognizable. He looks like he does not belong there, right? And this just ridiculous looking lime green coat. (laughs) (laughs) Questionable attire. Yeah. (laughs) Something of that nature. Yeah, this this is it. 
Um, right. But overall, I think the the facial expressions for Al look great. They capture his hair that's always a little bit disheveled. I agree. I think they both look good. Yeah. The art overall in this issue, I think, is a bit more consistent in its look. It doesn't just have this major shift halfway through. If you're reading these back to back to back, it's a very welcome change for me. Yeah. Because like I said, that other one was so dark and really kind of muddy. And this one does not suffer from that at all. The clarity is there. The colors pop Um, a bit more. I hate to say that the orange in the prison jumpsuits really pop off the page, but it does. And it contrasts well with the earth tones of the courtroom. Art-wise, this looks more like you would expect and your brain kind of expects from a comic book. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And those of us that have worked in comics know getting through all of these pages means not spending too much time on any one particular panel. Right. So if something's maybe just not quite working, you just got to leave it and move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or you'll never finish the issue. So there's some pages in here where it's a wonky panel here and there but for the most part uh pretty solid likenesses throughout and before we get too deep into it i'll mention that there is a letters page Ooh. in the second issue and because we mentioned it specifically there is a letter from a mark johnson in san diego california which i will paraphrase his rather lengthy letter actually <laughs> <laughs> but he says The only complaint that I had about this comic was the coloring. Ah. He's talking about issue one. In many instances, the colors were too dark. If Scott Rockwell would just tone down and use a few brighter colors, everything would be perfect. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, the darkness was a choice. It wasn't something he had to do. (laughs) You know, the editors always respond to these things, and their response is, We agree about the dark printing. How do you like the coloring in this issue? Ah, yeah. Maybe that was a, yeah. yeah. And maybe sure. there was some printing issues, but I, I think a lot of it's probably just the color choice of the artist. Everything in this issue and the second issue looks sharper, though. Yeah, the line work is a lot sharper. The panel layout is a bit easier to navigate. Also seem a little more amateurish, though. In places. I mean, it's very rote. It's not really trying anything new. And I guess that's what the first issue was kind of trying to look a little bit unlike something that was just typically on the stands. This it looks more like a comic book that you could pick mm-hmm. up from any publisher that was not Marvel or DC, right? Like, this isn't up to Marvel and DC standards for that era. Yeah, no, it's certainly not. Uh, I mean, maybe it's like you were saying, it's like a springboard into some other kind of work. Even later in this series, there are a couple of noteworthy people who go on to pretty big careers in comics. Yeah, I look uh, forward to you mentioning who those people are. I'm not going to let you. I don't even think I'm going to mention them on this episode because we'll get to them eventually. Oh, well. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, sorry, folks. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. If you're interested, <laughs> just look them up and then just figure it out for yourself. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, I'm telling the audience to stick it. I feel like the artists working on this book were probably pretty green as far as the industry goes. And yeah, for the most part. Kind of cutting their teeth on this stuff. So story wise, what do we think of this? A lot of sitting around. I mean, he's in a prison cell for the bulk of the story. And the only other area being a courtroom. So while something like that can be captivating on television because you get caught up in the dialogue and what have you, this is one of the ones where I kind of question, does it translate 
to comics. As far as people sitting around talking, there is one page that works pretty well for me. Okay, there's two pages I kind of come back to in this. One is page 11, which is Turn one... to page 11, folks. Yeah. QuantumLeap-Alsplace.com It's just the same image five times of the interior of this cell, and the characters move slightly. Al is pacing back and forth. Through the bed. Through the bed, but mm-hmm. it's mostly word balloons. Like, 45% of the entire page is just word balloons, and I don't yeah. think this page is very effective. But when I contrast that with just three pages later on page 14, another five-panel layout there that looks pretty similar except it's close-up shots of Sam and Al and the other prison inmate and as we go down we see Al's kind of exaggerated motions and his facial expressions change Mm -hmm. and Sam kind of seems to get a little bit more concerned his face grows slightly more grave the farther down the page you get And I think that page is actually really effective, but it's largely because of the two characters on your shoulders kind of thing going on. And Al is like just so animated on the left hand side of the page. One of the things some artists really struggle with is this talking heads situation. Uh When you've got people just sitting around talking, you've still got to make that art visually interesting. And... You've got to come up with angles that you're going to shoot it from. You've got to come up with something the character might be doing while they're sitting there and talking. You know, whether it be folding laundry or some kind of action that you can give your character to do if it's just two people in a room talking. Right. And no artist has any fun with that, (laughs) but you really have to force yourself at it, you know? Mm -hmm. The page that you're mentioning here, page 14, I see what he's doing there, and there's a nice progression I will question panel one, though. That's, yeah, I think that's weird. What is going on like, there? Where, where, like, Sam is, like, split above the Sam head? I, I don't know what that's all about. I don't about. know what his goal is. Fo- and if you can't see this, folks, it's a five-tiered panel page. There's a floating panel of Sam's head over where his head would be anyway. But it's five inches higher, like, above his shoulders? <laughs> It is it's really bizarre choice. It is a like, I don't very know what he's weird doing choice. There. I don't know what that's all about. Um, yeah. It kind of throws off the whole page for me. I think it's kind of funny. That's why it. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go because it kind of cracks me up a little bit, but I don't know what yeah. you're going for with it. <laughs> I think that the next page is more successful. Oh, the next in... page is great with Al in the bed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There you're really getting some interesting angles and some, how can I make these two characters talking in a small room interesting? Yes. You also have uh, the added advantage of one of your characters being a hologram that can be inside solid objects. (laughs) Yeah. I think they've still got the voices of the characters in this. Especially Sam in that scene that we were just talking about where he has to kind of whisper to Al, muttering under his breath for a, a whole thing about a fellow journalist here that is refusing to give up his source mm-hmm. and for the greater good of free press. This kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of uh, the episode of New Quantum Leap where Jen was the hologram and was trying to convince him to just be completely unscrupulous about certain yeah. things. Yeah, a little bit. You know, cause, a little bit. Because Al is like, you've got to convince this guy to betray his ethics. 
Yeah, right. He's done that in the show quite a bit. Sure. In fact, as I was reading that, I was thinking, you know what? There are a lot of episodes where Ziggy is just wrong. Yeah. It's a staple in this show to have Sam's gut feelings be right where the computer calculating its odds are wrong. Yeah. And uh, as it turns out, the other way just means beating up some folks and stealing a car. (laughs) (laughs) And... And having a brush with history. Yes. I don't know if you groaned like I did. I did. We got to this part when he's fighting these guys, beating these guys up using like high kicks and patented roundhouse. Al saying, yeah, nobody here knows who Bruce Lee is yet, so it's all going to surprise him. And who should be watching from the sidelines and just falling in love with these martial <laughs> arts? But a young Steven Seagal. <laughs> oh, my That's God. Right, Steven Seagal. <laughs> One of our worst people. <laughs> Sam is now oh, inspired. Well, what at this time? Oh, at this time he, he was, was king of the world. Under man. siege, right? Yes. Under siege has just come out, and uh, I really think that's his one good movie. America loves Steven Seagal in this era in, for sure. In 1992, yes. Yeah, I think the line just before that is even funnier. Nobody in 1968 knows what karate is, <laughs> right? <laughs> Good thinking, Sam. Beat these people up. Steven Seagal may be responsible for exposing Western society to martial arts, thanks to Sam Beckett. Is that what we're... That's that's the implication. Yeah, this page is hilarious from beginning to end, honestly. It's it's It's, pretty funny. It's great in a maybe not great way. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, he's trying to convince these police officers that... The guy that just got off from murder was going to go kill his friend's niece Yeah, it's or something? It's pretty hardcore. The back half of this plot where this guy who is going to be implicated and kind of gets off goes to murder the journalist's niece. I was like, that seems... In retribution. Yeah, that's... He literally leaves the courtroom, (laughs) the courthouse, (laughs) and goes straight to the park to to assassinate a young girl on her birthday. (laughs) 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 It, It... the back half of this plot felt like an episode of New Quantum Leap, honestly. It's, like It yeah, felt like this really is just funny. so over the top and so intense. <laughs> it is kind of crazy. But of course, the Sam guys is are like a, it, so. The guy is like a medical doctor. He's decided he's going to murder this person's niece. It's intense. I don't know how he was killing his patients, but my guess is not with a rifle from a car window. Yeah. <laughs> in like a drive-by with a rifle. Yeah, this is that's like the Punisher's origin. And pardon the pun, but this is a leap. A leap of logic. I mean, luckily he's got Ziggy to confirm the fact that, yes, this guy's going right now, leaving the courtroom to go <laughs> kill this guy's niece. Have you ever been that pissed party? off about anything? <laughs> to, to leave immediately? It's like no plan. This comic kill is, someone. is definitely committed to one and done. Right. Like they are definitely committed to wrapping their stories up very, very quickly. And if anything, the second issue does feel a bit imbalanced because so much of the first half is just those talking heads. And then in the last four pages is when all of that crazy shit happens. So it's uh, in my notes here. I said the climax is just like Mission Impossible six. Smash your car into somebody else's car. It's the whole plan. Finds the bad guy who's driving in a car and smashes his car into it and saves the day. I mean, okay, so I think the third issue is probably going to be at the bottom of the pack. Uh, 
This one's a little bit rough, guys. So I just said they're really tied to the one and done, and the next issue is a totally different story. Well, this third issue of Quantum Leap, for whatever reason, they decided to do two stories, breaking each one into about 15 pages for a right. an extra size issue. And yeah, I would say the results 31 are pages. real mixed bag here. Yeah, um, this one I had to read digitally as well. QuantumLeap-AlsPlace.com this is, I think, the only issue I ever saw physically out in the wild, because I oh. remembered the cover of Sam as a mall Santa and the screaming kids and the like, the line of kids in front of him. And I just thought, God, that looks miserable. I bet that's a funny one. Well, now I finally read it and I'm like, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. So Sam has leaped into a person only identified as Nick. Yeah. And everything you think that might imply is probably true. <laughs> He's a mall Santa who is, I, I guess, trying to help a young... Uh, Nate, what's the best synopsis for this you could come up with? Miracle on 34th Street? Basically. The long and short of it is he's supposed to try and get this girl to believe in miracles because she's lost her mother and her father is working all the time and he and just always helps helping other else. people. He just wants to help everybody else out. And he never has time for his own kids. And it's Sam's job to make this guy's daughter realize that all of those things are worthwhile and that he really does care and that he's a good guy. <laughs> it's it's fine that your dad ignores you. And all the while, of course, Ziggy can't dig up any information on this Nick character you've leaped into. Oh, yeah. What a mystery. Ugh. When you see his reflection, obviously he's got the long snowy white beard. But for some reason, he's wearing a fake beard <laughs> as the mall Santa. Yeah. The kids are pulling at his beard, and it's clearly a fake pin-on beard that a guy with a beard is wearing. Right. So, so Nick has a beard, is wearing a fake beard over the real beard. There are... This issue... This is I, rough, man. This one was real rough. Okay, so this one was written... Art included. This story was written by John Holland with art by Andy Price. And this, oddly enough, not one of the later artists that I was talking about uh, a while man. ago. I had a hard time just following what was going on in this issue. I thought it might have something to do with the fact that I'm having to like read this digitally and open files each time I wanted to see a page. Because even though this story was so transparent as to know exactly where it's going at every turn, every time I opened a new file to read a page, it seemed like I had missed a page somehow. Yes. Yeah. I kept scrolling to the bottom to read the page number to make sure that I had the right page up. Right. This can't be it. There, there's at least this can't three, be the next page. There are at least three different points in this story where Sam and Al come to the realization that Sam has leaped into Santa Claus and they're like, nah, nah. three times that happens <laughs> in a 15 page story. Like if you didn't already know exactly what this story was supposed to be, I'd be completely lost because like you said, three times he like goes back to Nick's apartment, I guess. 
where there are some elves? And he lives on 34th. I do want to point that out, too. Path of least resistance in your Christmas story. (laughs) He spends most of the issue following this guy, Mark, around, the co-worker at the mall, Mm -hmm. okay? But when he does go back to his apartment and the door gets opened by these elves, that's where it ends. Clearly... He walks in there and spends the night there and wakes up in the morning and comes back to work the next day. But we don't see any of that. Right. He spent an entire, he spent an entire night in there with elves and is still like, nah. Yeah, right. But for us as the reader, every time he goes to the door, we only see the elf for a second. It's really confusing. Can I ask you a question? uh speaking of confusing page nine what wh- what exactly what the hell is this do you see this what panel are so we right looking at the center of the page a ha got you page. <laughs> yeah. like what in the hell is that <laughs> is he holding that thing that's kind of a baby with with a man's hairline it, it, it looks like it looks like oh he's a hugging cat. a cat He's hugging a cat. So the, oh. so the little boy is sitting in his lap and <laughs> hugging a cat, but like you can't tell what any of this is. Oh my god! It's anyway, awful. Anyway, this... I feel bad. Who, who's the artist on this that we're just? I mean, we're being really mean, but that it's not. It's good. not great. It's Andy Price is the is the name of the artist. I'm sorry, Andy. I I'm sure you got much better. Hopefully, you look back at this and laugh also, and that you're 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 much better off one of the major problems that i've had with the art in this is that i confused al with mark more than once yeah repeatedly yeah so the mark character is the dad that works for everyone but himself and half the time i think it's al and then i'm like oh wait what that's not that's no there is a single panel in here where Al showed up and I was like, I have no idea who this is. Because there's one panel where Al has Reed Richards hair. Where like, oh, yeah. like the sides of his hair are white. And he does not look like Al at all in that panel. Yeah. All right, I'll say something nice. One of the things that I do think is fun is that each one of the pages in the margin somewhere has a little out of context image that's Christmas related. Yeah, like a fluttering calendar page, like December 22nd, or like... Uh... My personal favorite on, what is this, 13? Uh, no, page 10. A little half-eaten cookie. Oh, a cookie a at cup, the bottom. And a glass of milk, you know? Yeah, yeah. The... So, don't have anything to do with the story, but they're just there because, hey, it's Christmas, and... I think that was an interesting choice by the artist, I'm sure. Yeah, kind of exploiting the gutter space there to kind of... Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah. he's he's got ideas there, largely unsuccessful, Look, I don't think, I like, I mean, I think the art is a big part of the problem with this. The story, though, is just, like, extremely hackneyed. I can't say it's all that, you know? The story's not helping the art any more than the art is helping the story. Because, like I said, you start at the top of a page... And you got to go back and look and make sure you're on the right next page. Because right. Uh, Did I miss something? No. Okay. All right. I, and that's not the artist's fault. So all the way around, I'm hard pressed to find something that works in this issue. Yeah. So the second half of this issue, 
is a story called The Infinite Corridor. I think this one's certainly more interesting than that first one was. Yes. More ambitious. I think it may be the only time I've ever seen a credited research and consultation professor. They actually had to get somebody to vet the science they're talking about through. Huh. The writer of this story is Link Yakko, which sounds like a pseudonym (laughs) to me. God bless you. Uh, (laughs) Illustrated again by Andy Price, who illustrated the first half of this issue. And here's what blows my mind. The back half of this issue looks absolutely nothing like the first half does. Wait, this is the same artist? It's the exact same artist. Let me pull up one of these. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can see some similarities now that you mention it. Vague similarities, but it looks like these two stories were drawn like a year apart. They very well could have been. I mean, that's that's plausible. It's wild to me. The back half of this issue looks better, reads better. I kind of wish this story had more breathing room. I think it could have used another five pages. Sure, sure. But it's definitely more interesting. So the idea here... Sam has leaped into a student at MIT a few years before Sam himself gets there. Matt, who is in a relationship with a young woman who is going to make a discovery that directly informs Sam's theory of time travel. Mm -hmm. So Project Quantum Leap and his original work with that is based on her previous research to a small degree. And... Al shows up and is freaking out because Sam runs the risk of creating a paradox that could rip space-time apart because if that discovery is not made and Quantum Leap is never founded, then the whole universe kind of caves in on itself. Yeah, here we get to have an actual time travel conversation because the whole reason he's there is to make sure that she discovers the thing that leads him to create the Quantum Leap Accelerator. Yes. So does he then create his own causality loop? Right. Did he come here to fulfill that destiny or would it have happened without him there? And if it was going to happen without him there, then his being there was just messing things up. What was he even there to do? Well, yeah, it seems like what he's there to do is make sure that the two of them stay together and that she discovers this thing. But it also seems like if he had never leaped in at all, both of those things would have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. First of all, the art by itself, I didn't realize it was the same artist. So it's definitely better, but it's still not great. Right. Yeah. Although it is a vast improvement. I can tell who I'm looking at at every given moment. Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. And the story is much clearer. But narratively, it's confusing because he's got to get matt and ellen to fall in love but not too much in love just the right amount of in love (laughs) it's like it opens and they're breaking up but they can't break up because if they do she won't focus on her studies she'll marry some nozzle that doesn't allow her to make the discovery that sam needs her to make so Sam has to propose to her and spend enough time with her, but not so much time that she doesn't study because she's still got to discover the thing. So we're three issues in now, and over 60% of the stories have been about studying. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So a couple of the big things before we wrap up here, I want to kind of a couple things I was wondering about. So the medium of comics kind of has this limitless potential to tell whatever kind of story you want to tell. Do you think that to come into these three issues of Quantum Leap and have very grounded, fairly pedestrian TV adjacent stories is a disservice to what comic books can achieve. Wouldn't it make more sense to have a story that could not be told on TV? Yeah. I definitely was thinking about that in the very first issue, a classroom. Like seriously, this is, (laughs) you know, you're like your, your entire climax hinges on people passing a test. That issue in particular was what does the show do well? Let me try to do that show. Yeah. And I don't know that that's a great way to succeed. And I'll give you an example from my own life. Uh, do do me a favor and don't go searching this out. But I had a story published in the Star Trek manga from Tokyo Pop. Uh-huh. Like volume three, I think. I've got a story in there called Civic Minded or something of that nature. And it was a manga version of Star Trek, the original series. Mm-hmm. And I scripted this book with the sole intention of absolutely capturing this show. Like, how would these characters say these words? What kind of stories get told by Star Trek, the original series? And you want to talk about pedestrian. The way this thing turned out, you know, this was in an anthology. Mm -hmm. So it was one of four in the same book. And every review that I read of my own work after the fact was the Nate Bowden story Feels the most like the show, but we've seen this a hundred times. Ah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know what? They're completely right. At the time, it was like, what can I put in this book that will make people know I know Star Trek? Yeah, and that's it. That's that's my whole thing. Like, you've got to play yeah. not to the franchise. You've got to play to the media. Right. right. This was a Star Trek manga, so they got a big Gundam robot. Of and faced it off with the Enterprise. And I thought that that was a terrible idea and thought these people don't know what they're creating. You know, they don't know the medium they're working. It turns out I was just trying to make what I know. And I ended up regurgitating something that could be done a million times. And I really feel like issue one is kind of falling into that same trap. Yeah. It's a particular, yes. it's a relatively good story and it would work fine for TV and it feels like TV, but... As I'm reading it in a comic, there's a disconnect. You know, give me something else, something that it has to be visually exciting in a comic book medium, you know? Something I thought reading this and talking what we talked about earlier with the sort of artistic trends and the specific talents that were big at the time this series was being published, wouldn't it have been an obvious idea to do a quantum leap series where every issue he leaps into a character in a different art style in a different sort of comic book environment. I don't just mean like leaping into a Liefeld comic or leaping into a McFarlane comic or something like that. I mean like leaping into Sergio Aragonis Gru comic, right? Like where the style gets way out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that have been 
the way to go with this. I think that would have been I like... I think it's a, too outside the box. It's, it definitely <laughs> doesn't comport with the TV show. And they would have been their own things, right? Like, it could not have right. existed in tandem with the show. Which is something I will say about this book, is that it's very easy to see these as lost episodes. But, again, I'm just thinking in terms of playing to the medium, that would have been visually interesting. It would have kept you really on your toes. You never know what you'd be getting next. Yeah. Uh, Where were you 10 years ago when I was writing Star Trek? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nate, you might want to rethink this whole exactly like you've seen before. Um, Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, you're not wrong. I think that's definitely something that they should have considered. I think that might be more successful. Who knows? Maybe there are issues later in this run that do something a little more out of the box. I don't think so. The next issue definitely doesn't because... Sam leaps into an actual box at the end of this issue <laughs> as a contestant on one of those payola scandal quiz shows. I'm interested in that. I kind of wish there had been an yeah. episode about this. Pulled the rug out from under Robert Redford with that movie he made in like, what, 93 or something? 94? <laughs> I don't fault the artists because I think the writers and the artists of this book, I think that what they're thinking is probably sort of the same thing that I was thinking, which is, Wow, I get to play in this sandbox. Watch me make what they make. You know, yes. and it's not yeah. let me take what they do and turn it on its head because I've got all these tools at my disposal. It's more like they're wanting to write episodes of the show and they've got a comic book to do it in. They may have had and to, like that might have been the mandate. It does say in one of the letter columns here that they, you know, they had to submit these stories for approval. Sure for the licensing to be able to print them. So almost certainly playing within the rules that they were given. But at the same time, like I can see the creators of these books really feeling like they're writing an episode of Quantum Leap and that's got to be thrilling. That's how I felt in scripting that Star Trek story. I was writing an episode of television. (laughs) Well, if I could play in the Star Trek sandbox, I'd probably bring back that giant hand. And I might've had the giant hand like bitch slap the giant robot. (laughs) <laughs> well, the giant robot does flip the bird at the Enterprise, oh, if I remember the, correctly. The great bird of the galaxy. Yeah. There we man. go. I don't know. <laughs> I I feel like that is not one of my brighter moments as a writer. You Go check out the other stuff I've done before that if, if anybody shows any interest. But um, I think this notion of like using the tools of a comic book and advantage of having a different creative team on every book you could really make these look way different yeah each time and uh yeah maybe ultimately more successful who knows yeah we may never know (laughs) (laughs) i i have a good feeling that we will never know (laughs) yeah probably not if it's not star wars i don't think they're really scooping up the licenses right now you know certainly not quantum leap if they get a third season, do you think there'll be a Quantum Leap comic again? IDW pick something up? Um, you know, IDW might do that. They're pretty good about the licensed stuff. Yeah. Star Trek, uh, you know, but Ninja this Turtles, does, all that stuff. Yeah, but this does make me question whether Quantum Leap is a viable comic book property. There's not enough time to flesh out the world that he exists in. But before we go, the cover artist is the same on all of these issues. And those likenesses are really nice. Oh, the covers are very eye-catching. C. Winston Taylor is the artist on the covers. And I was looking to see if I knew that guy from anything. 
The one thing I'll say before I mention this is Sam's face on the cover of issue two is a little weird. <laughs> like, what's what's his face doing he's got, there? He's got real, it looks like he's having a stroke. Yeah, something like that. And <laughs> like the the mirror reflection is not reflecting properly because Sam is looking at us, but so is the reflection. Oh, wow. Yeah, be, you're right. He should be looking the other way. So yeah, there's some logistical issues there, but outside of that, the art is uh, is pretty close, and he does a really great Dean Stockwell. Oh yeah, especially the cover of the first episode. And I wanted to look into who it was, so I didn't go any further than this quote I found because I found it hilarious. Okay, I wonder if this is the guy, C. Winston Taylor. And I click on the thing and it says, C. Winston Taylor always knew from a young age that he wanted to communicate through his drawings. Oh, this is the guy. Fighting in the jungles of Vietnam where he ordered two bronze stars helped to solidify this vision. Holy shit. <laughs> I stopped right there. I was like, yep, that's perfect. Wow. What a what a life. The very next sentence. Vietnam solidified this vision. He's like, I'm not leaving the house again. <laughs> I will forever be drawing because... Chain me to this board. Somehow fighting in the jungles of Vietnam solidified the idea that he wants to stay home and draw. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well... I think we'll yeah. revisit these at some point down the road. We'll read a few more issues. Sure. There's, I want to say, 13 or 14 issues total. So we will definitely be looping back around to these, especially because, again, I want to get to some of the later issues that feature uh, more consistent art and art from somebody who, again, becomes a pretty big-ish industry Well, guy. you're just teasing. I know, man. I know. You're I'm just, just going to keep doing it. it. And keep you know what? It, it's not even going to be after the credits here, folks. I promise you, he's not going to give it I'm up. I'm not giving it up. You, you just have no... to stay tuned for that one. And then I'll go into because it'll take forever for once I get talking about this guy, probably. But anyway. I like hearing you talk about comics. <laughs> so, next issue, next episode. Oh, man, I don't remember. And I don't know if this is something we're going to tackle now. Given that we don't have until October 4th for the next season to come up. But on our topic here, uh, we're going to workshop our own season two. Ooh, This will be unprepared, just back and forth conversation, workshopping what we think season two should look like. Might be a little early to drop that. Maybe we'll come up with something in between. But that's coming, yeah. folks, and it's going to be fun. I think that'll be a lot of fun. That's one thing, I, in reading these comics, it started to dawn on me just how much space is between us and the end of last season at this point. It feels like it's been, frankly, two months <laughs> since. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's been more than that, we've, though, we've, hasn't it? We've how... talked about a lot of stuff since the end of that season, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to get back into thinking about... Uh, what are their names again? <laughs> right. Janice. Ben Song. Yeah. Addison. Uh, all the all those characters. Um, Addison Augustine. I, I want to Are get you back ready to get them. back on a weekly schedule? Oh man. Uh yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I will be but once the, the new season. The listeners rolls demand around, it. Though. 
The listeners demand it, Brian. Do they, though? <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see if we get to that. Let's feel it out in between and see what kind of time frame we're on, how close we are to October. Look forward to that, folks. It will happen. Yeah. Oh, we will definitely be workshopping this next season. I- I'm looking forward to speculating left and right about it, man. Absolutely. All right. Well, folks, thanks for listening. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please drop us a line at ohboyqlpod at gmail.com. Send us bootleg comics, and <laughs> maybe if you have any scans that are better than the ones I read this week of those issues, hey, send those along too. You can find us on X. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what a stupid app. Uh, I remain at Captain Burn, C A P T N B E R N. And I am at Action Nate. God, I hate X. When I woke up Saturday morning and the app button had like updated Twitter bird was gone and now it's just X in what yeah. in what somebody online described as quote incel font which I thought was great <laughs> um, I just maybe we should just get off man. of there what do you think yeah, I, we're doing nothing but bash Nate, it I just it's don't remember like anybody's coming to follow I don't remember what my handle is on like threads or any of these other things yeah <laughs> Right. To, right. We got to do a little more outreach. Yeah. I'll need to write somehow. it down. I'll need to write it down so I can remember wh- where you guys can actually find me <laughs> on a, on a uh, platform that isn't a heaping pile of shit. Anyway, <laughs> I'm looking at my apps right now on my phone, and X is right next to Xfinity, and they're almost identical with different color schemes. Nice. Xfinity and X. Right next Good to job, Elon. You too. Yeah. You oh idiot. Gosh. Anyway, we'll see you next time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, I'm Brian. Oh, and I'm Nate. And we'll be here in the waiting room.